standing, let's pray together, hey? So, Father God, thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. Thank you for giving us the ability to understand language, to read your word, to comprehend your word, to have your word in our own language that we can hear and learn and grow in you. And so today I ask that you would do your work in us, that your spirit would take over, that you would speak the words of life that we need to hear today. And that, Father, we would leave here changed in the mighty name of Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Who was here last week? Put your hand up if you were here last week. All right. So for those that weren't, um, we were talking about when the helper comes, when the Holy Spirit comes and the help that um, he brings to our life and why God sent the Holy Spirit. God sent the Holy Spirit so that we could be empowered to preach the gospel and to live a righteous life. Uh, it's not so that we would be um, promoted and powerful in our own ability, but so that we would have the ability to preach the gospel. And so we had a, a look at that. And I want to continue on with some more thoughts um, that the Lord has for us here. So um, today I'm talking about that He, capital H, God, may be glorified. And that is going to be the essence of everything that we look at, that He may be glorified. And we finished last week really quickly because I ran out of time in Isaiah 58. So we're going to go back there um, because I want to unpack that a bit further for you. So who brought their Bibles? Yes? Yay? Okay, turn to Isaiah 58, please. And let's look at this together. There's something about seeing it for yourself. Isaiah 58 is all talking about fasting. Now, um, the Lord gave me this strategy um, a couple of weeks ago now. I was uh, praying for Jeremy's family who, who don't know the Lord yet. And I felt really convicted that um, I actually needed to do very specific prayer and fasting for his family because um, I don't want to be complacent. And this is God's strategy. So if we're going to have a look at this, Isaiah 58, and uh, there's, a, there's a lot of cool stuff ahead of us. So you ready? Yeah. You're buckling in because I have to go on high speed <laughs> this morning. All right. So I'm going to start in verse 1. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. So if I touch this button, will that work for me, Jeremy? All right. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. God is wanting to get our attention. He's wanting to tell us something. He's wanting to give us a message. So the trumpet is sounding. What message is it bringing? Now I'm going to go back. Hit it again. All right. Cool. And what message is the trumpet bringing? Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Wow. Something really not good is happening in God amongst God's people. Verse 2 tells us what it is. 
yet they seek me daily. Does that sound bad? No. No. They delight to know my ways. Hang on a minute. That doesn't sound bad either. As a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God, they ask of me the ordinances of justice and they take delight in approaching God. Well, to me, that sounds like a perfect report card. What could possibly be wrong with these people? They delight to know his ways. They seek God. They delight in approaching God. And yet he's sounding a trumpet and he's saying, hey, something is wrong here. Verse 3, God is actually replying to a cry of their heart. Verse 3, they said, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? Interesting question, and our God is going to answer them. So have you ever had something where you have been seeking God, but you feel like he's paying no attention? Hey, I've been doing all this stuff. Why haven't you noticed? Why haven't you done something? Why haven't you changed something for me? The rest of verse 3, God begins his reply. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your labours. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? How many people would think, that does sound like fasting? What's going on here? Verse 6 has something really, really amazing. And this is where God led me. Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who were cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and hide not yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. You will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, and the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. 
Those from among you shall build the old waste places and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach and restorer of streets to dwell in. What an incredible promise. And it all comes from verse 6, the fast that the Lord has chosen. Now a fast is to abstain from food or to abstain from something with a specific purpose that that time is going for someone else. The thing I noticed here was that fasting was nothing to do with their needs. They were fasting for the needs of others. That is what God had put as his fast that he has chosen. To loose the bonds of wickedness and undo the heavy burdens and let the oppressed go free and that you break every yoke. All right, how many of you have seen a yoke lately? Of an egg. Where you all been? <laughs> when I was in India, you would see yokes a lot because they would have the oxen and they'd have them yoked up and, and they'd be helping thresh or plough. But we don't really see yokes here, do we? It's a bit different. However, I want to tell you a little bit about the Bible kind of yoke that it's talking about here. And I need to highlight two things. In verse 4, he said when they were fasting, they were fasting for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. Verse 9, he says, if you take away the yoke from your midst and the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness. I want to actually tell you what this is talking about. Now, have you ever had anybody point their finger at you? Do people normally point their finger at you in love? Oh, doesn't even go together, does it? Right? Because normally it's like you're getting the lecture. That, that pointing of the finger and the fist of wickedness, I want you to imagine someone who is self-righteous. And I'm telling you! We should settle down, we're in church. Um, so this, it's the same thing. The pointing of the finger is actually talking about scorn here. So it's pointing at someone else in a scornful way, a judgmental way, saying, oh, well. So these people were fasting and they're coming to God with the attitude of something like what Jesus said. I'm going to read from Luke 18. You can go there with me if you'd like to. Luke 18. Let me get there real quick. 9 to 14. And he also spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So put that in today's context, one a pastor or a priest or someone highly esteemed as a leader in the church. And the other one, a convict who's just gotten out of jail. And they're standing on the street corner near each other. 
So the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Notice he's actually not even getting through to God. He's just praying with himself. God, or maybe it was God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. God was not impressed with the Pharisee's ability to fast twice a week or even make sure that he gave a tithe of everything he possessed. He wasn't impressed that he wasn't an adulterer or like the tax collector because God is looking at the heart. What would have been effective is if that Pharisee had stood there and said, God, I want to fast for the adulterers and the tax collectors and the unjust and the extortioners and I want to pray for them earnestly that you would open their eyes to you and your love and their need for you. I tell you, if he hadn't begun to pray like that, he wouldn't have been praying with himself. He would have been praying with God. God is calling us. Are you ready to listen? Jesus said something interesting in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. I'm going to go back to my uh, analogy and build on about this yoke business. So Matthew 11, 28 to 30 says this. Jesus is talking. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, it was common for a rabbi to have a school of students. And this rabbi would be of this persuasion. And so people would say, well, I'm under the yoke of rabbi so-and-so. In other words, I'm under their teaching. And someone else said, well, I'm under the yoke of rabbi such-and-such. I'm under his teaching. So Jesus is saying to people, well, take my yoke, my teaching upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. All right, Timmy, can you come up here, please? Thank you. Okay, I'm going to show you the difference between the yoke of Jesus and the yoke of wickedness described in Isaiah 58 that we just read. So, Jeremy, could you please bring me your um, big, the big black jacket there that I've got? Yep, that one. Okay, this is like what the Pharisees were doing. Let's put this on. Thank you. All right. Okay. They had all this self-righteousness going on 
that you must do this and this and that. And it was a weight. No, that's not enough. Can we have the next coat there, please? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Isaiah 58, he's telling us, take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of wickedness. Have any of you ever had anyone else's expectations put on you that you just could never meet those expectations? Isn't it awful? It's so ill-fitting. Stand up, would you? What's the matter with you? You're not wearing that right. You need to, look, put your shoulders back, for goodness sake. Right. See, now if you want to be a good Christian, this is how you have to be. You have to stand like this and have all these things that you do to please me. I mean, to please God. Right? No. This says, hang on a minute, I actually want to free you. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See this one, how well-fitting it is? Now, can you show me something? Show me some moves? Show me some muscles? You feel better? Do you feel free? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, give me some Good job. Thank you. You can sit down for me. You see, he's saying, my yoke, it's perfect fit for you. A yoke has leather straps and a wooden bar across. And if it's ill-fitting, that bar's going to rub raw on the back of that animal. That leather strap's going to pull and cut in. But if it's the right fit, then that animal can go all day because that yoke is easy. It was made for them. My goodness, Jeremy, how do you wear that? That very heavy. <laughs> All right. So his yoke is easy. This is the God that we have. So I've been challenged to fast, and I started fasting um, some of my breakfasts so that I can do focused prayer for Jeremy's family who don't know the Lord yet. And I've been finding it really interesting as I pray. Every single one is different. But do you know what has happened to me as I've been praying? I start praying in the Holy Spirit because I don't know what to pray. So I pray in, in the heavenly language. And I'm praying. And then well, the first time I started praying, I remembered everything I had forgotten. It was incredible. It's like, oh, I didn't do that. And I needed to do this. And I've got to sort that out. Has anyone else had a prayer time like that? <laughs> So the more I prayed, the more it was like, wow, the gift of memory was coming. <laughs> and did I turn that off and have I done this? And did I finish that? Oh, I can't believe I didn't do that yet. I forgot that. And finally I said, Lord, would you help me out here? I'm trying to pray and fast and all I'm doing is thinking of everything but. And he said, armor up, put on the helmet of salvation. So I did. I said, thank you, Jesus. This is about salvation. That's what I'm going to think about. And, you know, from that moment, I was able to focus. And then he began to show me what to pray. And what surprised me the most was it was completely different to what I thought. 
Now, I thought I knew what these family members needed because, after all, I can see their life and what they are doing wrong, and I know how to pray for them. But doesn't that make me just like the Pharisee? Actually, what God showed me was why they are the way they are, to give me a heart of compassion, to pray effectively because now I truly care. Not because, well, you should, but because, oh, God, help. I'm seeing their heart. I went to pray for change in them and God began by bringing a change to me, to my attitude and to my heart. All right, I'm going to go to Matthew 25. How am I doing? Really bad, actually. <laughs> I, I'll have to finish up with this one. Uh, well, high speed. Okay, Matthew 25. This is the parable of the ten virgins, okay? Five of them were wise, it says, and five of them were foolish. I'm just going to read this parable really quickly. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. At midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. Timmy, can you bring my bag for me, please? Oh, thank you. I've got my goodies stashed in here. Okay. Well, I didn't have a lamp, sorry, but I do have a candle, so it's going to have to do. So, something's happened here. Firstly, they were ready for Jesus, the bridegroom. He was there, everything. They were like, yes, I love Jesus. But he took so long to come. Oh, I need pegs on my eyes. Oh. Have you ever said, I'm just going to close my eyes for a few minutes? <laughs> How'd that go for you? An hour later, half an hour later, the next morning, <laughs> wake up. Oh, oh. Well, this is what happened. It said they all fell asleep. But then... At midnight, a cry was heard. Now, according to Jewish custom, because they would get married at midnight, they would get married in the middle of the night, mm -hmm. the bridegroom would come unexpectedly, although the bride would know around about when he would be coming. So she would sleep in her wedding dress in case it was tonight. And all her bridesmaids would sleep in their best dresses in case it was tonight. Because the bridegroom would send forth, when he was coming, he would send forth those who would herald before him, Behold, the bridegroom's coming! Wake up! It, and they would do the sound of the trumpet. The bridegroom's coming! Quick, quick, quick! Oh, 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 okay. This is it, this is it, this is the night! Quick, we've got to trim our lamps. We've got to cut those, that wick off. There we go. Get ready, get ready. 
experienced these things, as you can see. Woo! There we go. All right. It's turning around this way. Okay. Finally, it's happening. We're ready. We're burning bright. Are you five? Where's your light? They didn't have any oil. So even though they were keeping good company, they weren't ready. The oil represents the filling of the Holy Spirit. So we can burn brightly for Jesus. We can't burn brightly for Jesus on our own. We have to have the Holy Spirit who lights up our life, who sets us free from all our stuff. So when that sound goes forth, we can be ready. So it says they rose and trimmed their lamps, and I believe what God is saying today is it's time to trim your lamps, church. It's time to let go of all the old stuff. Now, I don't know what's holding you back. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's what people have said over you. Maybe it's fears and insecurity. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's self-righteousness. But I'm telling you today to trim your lamp, to let go of all this stuff and allow God to fill your heart with a sincere love for each other. That when we pray, our prayers are effective because we actually are filled with the oil of the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit. Look what happens in verse 8. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came, virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you do not know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Many years ago, when I was still a teenager, there was this movement that came because of a book that was written called In His Steps. There was a movement called What Would Jesus Do? Does anyone remember that? And everything got made with T-shirts, WWJD, what would Jesus do? We had, I had the wristband, what would Jesus do? But I have to admit, um, I found it hard to know in every situation what Jesus would do. Um, I sometimes would just be like, I really don't know. What would Jesus do? I want to put forth something today that's maybe a little bit radical. But I believe this is what God is asking me to do. And maybe you want to join me. But I'm changing the acronym to WWGG and GG Mobile. WWGD, GG. What would glorify God? So when I'm ready to talk to my kids and they forgot to do what I asked them to do, and I want to go, Melody! What would glorify God in that moment? Oh, what if I'm 
on TV and it's not that bad. What would glorify God in that moment? Maybe my friends at work want me to do this thing and it's, it's all right, isn't it? I mean, what would glorify God in that moment? Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Our lives should be to glorify Him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20 says, Glorify God in your body, which was bought with a price. You're not your own. Glorify Him. WWGG. What would glorify God? And what if we asked ourselves that question for every decision that we made every day? Am I bringing glory to God in this moment? Am I thoughts glorifying God? Are my words glorifying God? Is my life a lamp in the darkness? Am I bringing Him glory? Did you notice that this candle didn't light itself? We didn't get saved by our own good merits. We had to have God light us up, bring His light into our darkness. But let's realise that We've been saved for a purpose. We're now part of a family of God. And our lives need to glorify Him in everything we do. So that's my challenge to you. Are you willing to fast and pray for the lost? Are you willing to really focus, not on your needs, but on the needs of others? And are you willing to let your life glorify God? You may know this song, Jerry, so maybe you can give me a tune with it. But it's an old song and it goes like this. In my life, Lord, be glorified. Do you know that? Who knows that song? Yeah? Do you know that song, Jerry? Can we sing it?
the shame and the, the mess that people are in, but, but may we be moved with compassion to reach a hand and extend a hand and to help them, to compel them to come and to find forgiveness and to find grace and to find mercy and to find a Father who loves them so much He gave His only begotten Son. Father, in our lives, be glorified. Help us to be like those five white virgins, full of the Holy Spirit, shining bright and ready for you to return. I ask you to fill us and empower us and change us in Jesus' name. Just while every head is bowed and eyes are closed in this place, if you haven't committed your life to Jesus, the Bible says you're still in darkness. But there is a light for you, a glorious light of salvation. He wants to bring light into your darkness. He wants to bring forgiveness for your shame. He wants to set you free from all those heavy weights that the world and your past and your sin has put upon you. You can be free today. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand and acknowledge, Anita, that's me. Today is my day of salvation. Do you know the Bible says today is the day of salvation? That now is the acceptable time? Why does it say that? Surely you've got your whole life ahead of you. No, it says that because none of us are guaranteed even our next breath. Now, this moment is the moment of salvation. To yield, to surrender your life to God. And that means giving up everything your mistakes, your failures, your past, your pride, everything, give it up and allow the Lord to fill you, cleanse you, change you, forgive you, make you a child of God. So if, the, if you're in this place today or you're watching online and you say, Nina, that's me, I want to give my life to Jesus, then I just want you to raise your hand and acknowledge that and I'm going to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want you to know Jesus was embarrassed for you. He hung on a cross, as Jeremy said earlier, naked and, and battered and bruised, carrying our shame so we could be free. For those who want to join me, just say this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I repent of my sins. Forgive me. I believe that Jesus is Lord and that you rose him from the dead. I believe he is my savior. Make me your child. Wash me clean. I choose to follow Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.